Hi, this is Susan Golightly, and I'm here with Gender Trouble. This is our third show, and so we're learning as we're going, but I'm very excited about the show we have today because we have the staff and members of the uh, Silver Regional Sexual Abuse Support Services, and we are going to talk about what they do and, well, just how they help Silver City and Grant County area. So with me, I have... Catherine Gower, she's Advocacy and Crisis Coordinator, and Hello. I have Luce Elena uh, Carvajal, who's the Community Coordinator. Hello. And always I have Alice here who punches me in the side when I'm going to make a mistake. So <laughs> That's the uh, sidekick. Hello. <laughs> and so, okay, and later on we're going to be joined by mm-hmm. Dr. Lydia Huerta. She's what one of she our do? board members. She's yeah. a board member, yeah. but and she's also a professor up at Western, and yes. she's just all-around amazing person. Indeed, yeah. 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 So, okay, let's start right off, and, and what in the world is Silver Regional Sexual Abuse Support Services? So, Silver Regional Sexual Assault Support Services is your local rape crisis center. We provide services to anyone who's experienced assault, sexual assault, at any point in their life, regardless if it happened when they were very young many, many years ago or if it happened yesterday. We're just here to support them through legal advocacy. Uh, excuse me. We will. Uh, we definitely do not do legal advocacy. We do medical uh, advocacy. We'll go with a client. We'll accompany them to the hospital. Um, we will advocate on their behalf if, for example, a client is having difficulty getting food, having housing issues, maybe transportation problems. We offer free and confidential services. And our primary service that we're very proud of is we offer trauma-informed therapy for clients. Uh, so, you know, we're really privileged to work with a unique, special population here in Silver City, and we're just so grateful for them. And speaking of people we're grateful for, hi, Lydia. Hello, everyone. Yeah. Yay. Okay, Lydia has joined us. Hello. So, I understand that you do advocacy training so people can volunteer to become an advocate. Yes, we do, and I'm actually really excited. Luz is going through the training right now with me, so she could maybe tell you if it's yes. any good or not. Um. Yes, I'm I'm new to all this, but um, the classes that I've taken so far, they're just really informative, especially about such a sensitive subject. You know, it, it just it teaches you to handle the situations. You know, if you are called, because a lot of us have to sign a calendar, so we're on call. Um, so, you know, SAS does have 24-7 support um, when you call the toll-free number you don't get a recording you actually get a live person so mm-hmm. it'll be one of us that you know is that you're talking to on the other end of the phone so we're just um, what I've learned so far is just you know the different information that I'm going to be faced with just how to handle it mm-hmm. it's it's a, yeah. a very sensitive subject but Catherine's doing a really good job at at training the advocate so I appreciate that we try and make it a positive um, experience. We are a agency that's in very much social work based, so we believe in strengths-based practices. We want to bring from everybody's strengths, our advocates, our staff, and most importantly, obviously, our clients. It's a 40-hour training spread over the course of two weeks, and I try and provide food, we watch movies, we listen to popular culture, and we do all of this to sort of inform our response to advocates. So if you're interested in being an advocate, we actually will have another training in March, and we'd be very excited if anybody was looking for a way to give back to their community. 
Um, you can actually just call our office, uh, which is 313-6203, and we'd be super excited to talk to you. I'd love to take you out for a cup of coffee and, uh, you know, go over the whole process of how to apply. Uh, that sounds really great. So uh, before the end of the show, let's uh, announce that again and, and talk about, uh, and you do need advocates, right? Yes. Definitely. Without them, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. Okay. So let's revisit that at the end of the show. Sure. So I, I put down some questions that I wanted to ask you. For instance, when, when did uh, Silver Regional Sexual Assault Support Services, when did they uh, first start? Well, it became its own independent 501c3, meaning it's a nonprofit, in 2011. So we're very proud to have been serving clients over the past four years. We look forward to being here for much longer. Yeah, I guess that's when it started. I don't know where I was going with that thought. What did people in Silver City, Grant County do before that? Uh, Well, they were able to receive some services from our sister collaborating agency, El Refugio. We are so grateful to them for you know, all the services they provide to survivors of domestic violence and everything they do in our community. But most of our clients would have had to have reported to La Pinon Rape Crisis Center of Southern New Mexico, which is out of Doña Ana County, Las Cruces. However, we know that a lot of people weren't, right? We can look at the number of people who came from Grant County and went to Las Cruces versus the number of people in Grant County who report to us, and we can just see that the numbers were literally, if if I'm not mistaken, about 10 times more annually, right? We went from about six people reporting from Grant County to 60 people reporting from Grant County. So we know that people are very grateful to have access to these services here. Isn't that one of the problems? If if a person who's had an you know, where they have been assaulted, if they're not able to report right away or if they're, if it's difficult to report, don't they just sort of then back off? Isn't that one of the things that happens? They get talked out of it or they feel like they don't want to come forward. And so mm-hmm. immediacy is very important. Yeah, it? yeah. Definitely. I think that is a common yeah. experience. Go ahead. Well, and I think too, um, you know, having us here and I think it's just more comforting in a sense you know Mm -hmm. because we live in the community Mm -hmm. um you know so i think a lot of clients that we do get feel a lot more comfortable with us having us here you know to talk to and we have this open door policy you know like Catherine said you know if anybody wants to be an advocate you know let's go have coffee like you know all of us are super friendly we're all willing to sit down and you know talk to anyone that comes in you know comes in the doors whether it's if they need services with counseling or, you know, they're having housing issues. Um, like I said, we have that open door policy to where, you know, if they just want to come in and they just want to get some stuff off the chest, you know, you know, off their chest, we're always there. Yeah, that's, that's great. So take us through like a day. What are all the kind of programs you have? What do you, what's, what's it look like where you're located at the, it's what's it called, called College uh, Street Plaza, yes. uh, suite what, number six. So if somebody finds their way over there and they knock on the door or they call your number, they walk us through kind of what do all you guys do besides the uh, advocacy? We've talked about <laughs> advocacy, which is wonderful. Yeah, but, definitely. But um, you go from there. Well, today for me was a really busy day. Um, I was hired on to... Um, basically put the information out there. Um, I am responsible for, you know, doing the presentations of our services. And um, actually today I was in the office and 
I was typing an article that goes mm-hmm. around from, um, like, well, different, from place to place, and it's called Wishing You Well. Um, and the article that I wrote today was about um, self-care, because so many of us do what we do. We don't take care of ourselves. So um, I started my day off with that, and then I was at the detention center mm-hmm. um, here in Grant County, which I was... Um, you know, offering the services and just talking to, you know, some of the females and males that, you know, are there. Um, And then I was off to Western for the legislative forum. Mm -hmm. And now I'm here. So it's, it's really different. We all do, we all have like these different roles, but in the same circle, it's where we all have that, that same. how, How big is the staff there? Well, our staff is quite small but versatile. Um, yes. We have Kelly Sietas, who is our executive director, our fearless leader. Yes, definitely. Um, Luz here is our outreach individual, our outreach coordinator, and then I am the advocacy and crisis coordinator. We have a part-time contract therapist. Um, we more often than not try to have um, a WNMU social work student as an intern. So it's a very intimate staff. So if you come in, you do have the option of, you know, you, you know who we are, right? It's not yeah. a faceless person in a cubicle, you know, yeah. that you don't even get to make it to. We really mm-hmm. want to be a part of your community. So Yeah, great. Mm-hmm. And so here's a big yeah. question. How do you get funded? Wow, great question. We receive, uh, we're very fortunate that there is a New Mexico coalition of sexual assault providers who does a lot of great support. They support us technically. And one of the things they do is they um, they have a lobbyist who lobbies for more funds for us, but we are grant funded. So we, uh, you know, we're nonprofit. We're not charging our clients for the services. Anybody can get free services. And we are very grateful that our funders have continued to support us. And we're always looking for more supporters at the community level. So if anybody's interested in either supporting us with their time or, you know, if you're interested in donating financially, we'd love to talk to you as well. So. Yeah, I understand you had a fundraiser just recently at Little Toad. Yes. Do you want to talk about it? Sure. Um, So um, as part of the board member duties, um, we have been asked to help create fundraising. And um, I believe that Kelly, in conjunction with Tanya Rivers and John Chess Chess and our awesome uh, president, um, Rob Bob Rickle, uh, we got together and decided to have this fundraiser at the Toad. We had a pretty good turnout. Mm -hmm. We had some great auction Mm -hmm. um, items. And I think we were able to raise something around five thousand. You know, I'm not Whoa. sure. We haven't uh, it was, haven't it was, finished the math. It keeps yes, coming it was, in. It was it was a great successful fundraiser, and we we always we are always thinking about ways in which we can contribute more. Mm-hmm. Um, so look out in the spring for another fundraising opportunity. Um, uh, I can tell you that we're definitely. In the books, it's it's being planned. Yes. Oh, Hopefully, yeah. some more amazing Thai food as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. food was amazing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Shout yeah. out to the little food. toad. Yeah. It was wonderful. Thank you, yeah. thank you so much, little toad. That was yeah. really good food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I missed it. I think I was out of town. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, okay. Um, I kind of wanted to get the sort of the basics down, like. Mm-hmm you know, the organization, but mm-hmm. before we got into the real serious stuff, like actually talking about statistics of sexual assault and, you know, how prevalent it is, uh, 
uh, I went through and was looking through statistics so that I can, you know, uh, do some. And I, I want to just start right off with my favorite statistic because I was amazed. It is more dangerous to grow up as a woman in the United States than it was for soldiers to go to Vietnam. And I'm going to tell you the official figures, and please uh, check on Google yourself and look at these figures. There is 2,710,000 soldiers that were actually in Southeast Asia on the land or in fighting in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. There was soldiers during that period in the war was like almost 10 million, but there was only 2,710,000. So of that, there was 58,000 killed and approximately 300 and uh, some thousand that were uh, wounded. So that's about 360,000. So if you do the math, there was about 13.5% of the soldiers were wounded or killed in Vietnam of those that went there. If you grew up in the United States as a female, you have a 33% chance, or you, you will have, you will be, 33% of women in the United States have been assaulted or sexually abused uh, in this country. So that's like twice twice as dangerous to be a woman in the United States. So this is why we have a really serious issue here, mm -hmm. and this is why mm -hmm. Silver Regional Sexual Assault Support Services are here. Mm -hmm. So we're going to stop right now and take a break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about some of these issues. Okay, we're back with Gender Trouble, and we're here speaking with Silver Regional Sexual Assault Support Services, and I have three other staff here, three of the people that can tell us about the need for this organization in Silver City, Grant County. I just left with stating a, a, an amazing statistic, which I think in our society people aren't thinking about it, but we do live in a society where we have a systemic rape culture mm -hmm. in our society, mm -hmm. and this is something we're going to talk about. But let me kind of warn you, this can be triggery. It could, uh, some of the things we're talking about could be a bit upsetting. So please take that in mind as we go over some of these issues because mm -hmm. I myself was assaulted at the age of 12. So it took me, I'm 72 now, and I don't think I began to talk about it until I was in my 60s. Mm. I mean, it's just difficult. It's a difficult yeah. thing that happens to us. So, so anyway, we're going to continue on. And so, who would like to start talking about some of these issues? Well, I definitely agree, uh, Susan, that the statistics are alarming and that we live in a systemic rape culture. And part of that rape culture and what aids this rape culture is the fact that institutions very often turn their backs mm -hmm. to survivors. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a very important conversation that we need to have. You know, mm -hmm. how, how are the institutions that we are a part of support or turn their backs towards us? Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, I'm a board member at SAS, but I'm also a professor at Western New Mexico University. And I can tell you that SAS has played an essential and crucial role and helping students at Western feel comfortable to address the issue, not only on campus, but also to 
seek help and services. I am very, very grateful for the existence of SAS in Silver City, um, especially because when I've had students come to me, I feel very comfortable knowing that if I send them to SAS, yeah. they will be helped. Yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of campuses, I was looking through some of the statistics of sexual assault and rape on campuses, and they're pretty horrendous. Do you have those mm-hmm. figures offhand? Uh, we could talk about that. Yes, actually, one in four college women usually mm-hmm. experiences some form of sexual assault and or rape. Um, a lot of this has to do, and actually of those, um, 90% tend to not report. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the number of, of uh, reported assaults and rapes is very, very small. And in part, there's a great film out there for those of you who, um, yes, who, yes. who want to know more about the information about rape on college campuses and sexual assault on college campuses called The Hunting Ground. And it is a film that uh, features two young activists mm-hmm. who went to their schools told them what had happened, and their schools turned their back on them. And a lot of the people that talk in this film say that the experience of being assaulted and or raped was horrible. But what was worse was the way they were treated by the schools afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a very, very important film that must be seen. Yeah, that's and, a systemic issue, isn't mm-hmm. it? Right, because exactly. I know a lot of colleges, because they're out there recruiting and they're trying to mm-hmm. advertise their college as a safe <clears throat> safe place for students to come to. And, and right now, I think the majority of college students are women. Uh, they outnumber, well, I know at Western, I was kind of shocked when I went there, but I think it's like two-thirds to one-third uh, women mm-hmm. at Western. So colleges are competing, and the last thing they want is news about or in the paper or Mm -hmm. negative advertising about sexual assault on campus. And, you know, I'm I'm very grateful that Dr. Huerta says, you know, sexual assault slash the R word rape, right? Because sometimes we have to acknowledge that what's happening uh, when defined by the survivor isn't what we imagine it, right? So when you say sexual assault, a lot of people sort of jump to the R word. They jump to the biggest, scariest, which is not to devalue it, but people immediately assume that somebody's been raped. And I think we also need to acknowledge not only on college campuses, um, but anywhere where you have maybe disparate populations that assault can be exposing someone to something, forcing someone to watch something. It can be tucking your hand into the back of their jeans at a bar. You know, it can be um, a multitude of things. Verbal and harassment. It can be verbal harassment. It can be, oh my goodness, well, it can cyber be... Cyber harassment. Exactly, that's a, that's exactly. I mean, there's been kids, mm-hmm. uh, well, I know in the LGBT community, yeah. there have been people that have taken their lives because of yes, the uh, terrible, extreme, terrible things. Uh, cyber harassment where they everywhere they go it's and everybody's laughing mm-hmm. at them because stuff is on their Facebook page and they can't mm-hmm. do anything about it. So what we're seeing is you know one in one in four young women in university will experience some form of sexual assault and the answer that's the important part is that it's some form of sexual assault. So while a school may have outlets for a survivor of rape, they may not have the same equal access for students who are getting harassing text messages or who are being followed from class to class. Or your employer might think that sexual assault or sexual harassment is, you know, hey, let's hop into the cupboard when really you just feel uncomfortable that your boss keeps, you know, rubbing your shoulders. So if you want to talk about institutionalization and rape culture, 
part of rape culture is having a very very narrow definition of what this crime is and not letting the women and men who experience step up and say, no, this was what happened to me. This was my experience. And I demand some sort of justice for that. Mm-hmm. Right. Stalking is another way that mm-hmm. of sexual harassment. And yeah. that's more common than you would believe the number of women that are being stalked. Yeah. And I actually know cases here in town where I've been talked to by various people about how they're really afraid, but they can't mm-hmm. do anything about it, you know, because they have to have some kind of proof and, and mm-hmm. that's very difficult to prove that somebody's stalking you. It is. It's and it's I mean if you want to discuss proof, any sort of proof for this kind of assault is so difficult. So part of our job, which I think I'm very honored to be a part of, is that we help clients redefine what justice means. Mm-hmm. So if you have a system saying Unless you can prove you were being stalked, we're not going to give you univer- We're not going to give you any sort of justice. So we help clients say, honestly, for me, justice is not having nightmares. Justice is not having to look over my shoulder everywhere I go. So part of our work is helping clients come to their own peace. Does the Silver Regional Sexual Assault Support Services uh, do they have a relationship with uh, Western New Mexico University? Yes. They have a relationship with Western on different levels. So as the co-director of the Center for Gender Equity, we, we really value and we collaborate with SAS a lot on events. And we have a lot of their pamphlets out mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that students can come to the center and then from there we can refer them. And actually, I'm really... I shouldn't say that I'm happy to say this because it shouldn't happen, but I was very glad that we were able to help several students last semester and this semester mm-hmm. by referring them out to SAS and being the place where they came first yeah. and said, I need help. Yeah. And yeah. I think, I mean, all of our staff is trained so that they SAS can then come and help the, the, the people in need. I know we've been talking primarily about women, but I mm-hmm. wanted to also point that one in six men at the mm-hmm. national average mm-hmm. also experience mm-hmm. some form of sexual assault uh, throughout their lifetime yeah. in the United yeah. States. Yeah. So I wanted to make sure that we also including men. And needless to say, I mean, Susan, I'm sure you're aware that in the LGBT community, these mm-hmm. th- these averages are a little higher. They're actually yeah. higher. Yeah. And, yeah. and the other thing that's interesting is, you know, and interesting in a bad way, is that the number of uh, sexual assaults for under 12, 12 yeah. and under, mm-hmm. is like I don't. I'm not sure the exact, but it's almost like uh, 20, 25 percent, or something like. Mm-hmm. You know, it's right in there, and that's a huge number. Mm-hmm. But the vast majority are under, or or at least half are under 18, and then most are under 25. Mm-hmm. And so we're talking about attacks on young people, mm-hmm. who are least able to. Uh, have the experience to uh, deal with this. Exactly. And I'm actually very happy also that the same program is now going to be under SAS. Mm -hmm. SANE being the sexual assault nurse examiners. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. We're we're super excited. Um, We had a brief moment where uh, we were 
uh, referring clients to La Pignon, they do wonderful work. But like we discussed, that is an investment of time that maybe not everyone has a car to get to Las Cruces or someone can drive them. Or, you know, what if your job won't let you get out of work to go to this? Because these are all very real concerns. So we're super excited to announce that we expect by the end of next week we'll have SANE services here in Grant County which will be Silver Regional Sexual Assault Nurse Examiners. And the exams will take place at La Clinica. So it's a wonderful clinic. It feels like a home. It feels like a safe place. Shauna McCosh mm-hmm. is the medical director, and she has she and Kelly Sierras together both have wonderful visions and, of serving our community. And where is La Clinica? La uh, Clinica is actually right next to the Gila Regional Emergency Room. It's just the next driveway up. Okay. So we're super excited to have that here locally. It's just an amazing service. And I really just want to give a shout out to Kelly Sierras for making this mm-hmm. happen. She and really, Shauna, yeah. And Shauna. She worked tirelessly with Shauna to mm-hmm. make sure that the program was back in Grand County. Mm-hmm. Um, because I can tell you, driving someone two hours to Las Cruces, it was not an yeah. option. It just was yeah. not an option. Yeah. Okay. And, and let me just throw this out, and then we're going to stop for another break is SAS, I'll say it, uh, no, is, good job. Uh, That's fine. is it a bilingual uh, organization? <laughs> yes, it is. Yes. Both because. me and Catherine are both Spanish-speaking, yeah. so... Yeah, because that's very important, and mm-hmm. La Clinica, I assume, yeah. is also... Uh, you know, I couldn't speak... I. I think I know that Shauna speaks some Spanish. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm so sorry. That's regardless, a yeah. regardless of that, when you have an advocate, yeah. so yeah. if you do not speak uh, English and you need mm-hmm. someone to talk to, Catherine or Luz can uh, go with you to La Clinica mm-hmm. and they can mm-hmm. also help in that, in that process. I mean, that's part of what they do. Yeah. They're amazing ladies with huge, huge mm-hmm. hearts. And I can tell you that I've witnessed um, them in in action and so to speak <laughs> I haven't been there with clients because yeah. that's not, that's confidentiality yeah. but I have yeah. seen the impact that they bring to the community and I can tell you the students that they have served have been changed for the better because of them yeah that's really great and so we're going to go ahead and, and pause for uh, an announcement of our radio station uh, uh, Gila Memories Regional uh uh, Gila Bean Breach Community Radio. <laughs> okay, we are back with Gender Trouble, and we are again speaking with Luce, Lydia, and Catherine, and they are from the Silver Regional Sexual Assault uh, Support Services, and we've been talking about an issue that can be triggery for some people. Some people have had have a difficult time hearing about these, which is one of the reasons why SAS exists, mm-hmm. because if this is a problem, there is a, a therapist who is trained to deal with uh, these traumatic experiences and, mm-hmm. and the aftermath, because so sometimes the healing process with this type of assault can be a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, maybe that's where we could start. We could talk about... PTSD and and how that's a factor. Yeah, sure. So when you're talking about assaults in New Mexico specifically, 90% of survivors know the person who caused them harm, often very intimately. And that is a statistic from 2013. Dr. Betty Capanera collects data from all over the state of New Mexico specifically, so we have really accurate data. So when you're talking about what happens to a survivor, what happens in regards to like PTSD, 
um, why they might be hypervigilant, why they have anxiety, is that there's not only a physical assault, right? This is this is a physical bodily crime. Um, you've also just gone through a really traumatic break of trust, right? We know that the people who cause offense are typically friends, social acquaintances. In the state of New Mexico, 9% of people who experienced sexual assault from someone they knew who was not biologically related to them were offended against by their therapists. Whoa. Right. Mm -hmm. So this is just an intimate, intimate break of trust. Not only your physical violation, but you've just had this, this relationship come shattering down. So when a client experiences this trauma, their brain starts functioning in a totally different way. We know this happens to soldiers. We know this happens to first responders. And we know it happens to survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault. Your brain starts recording in sort of a different way. Yeah, so let's, yeah. let's, uh, let's say mm-hmm. what PTSD uh, mm-hmm. stands for because mm-hmm. we bandy it about, but mm-hmm. it's, it's post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. And we always think of it in terms of soldiers coming back Mm-hmm. And, and rightly so, they would have PTSD. Sure. But a lot of people think that that's the only way to get it. But mm-hmm. trauma from any source, people can get mm-hmm. PTSD from uh, <laughs> like a, an automobile accident. Yeah. They, maybe they've fallen off of a cliff while hiking or something. Mm-hmm. All kinds of things could mm-hmm. cause it. But the most common one is, you know, a physical violence, mm-hmm. or, you know, in, in some kind of way. Uh, sets up a way of, of kind of irrationally dealing with loud noises, uh, mm-hmm. shock things. Mm-hmm. I know for myself, I wasn't able to use headphones for a long time because mm-hmm. it made me feel cut off. I wasn't aware. I needed to be hyper vigilant about my surroundings because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I was going like, wow, somebody could just walk in and I wouldn't know it. So yes. I wouldn't wear earphones, even in my house with the doors locked yeah. because it was too... Uh, kind of scary to be cut off like that. And so you, you say it's an irrational reaction. Um, we choose to honor that reaction, that oh, it's yes. actually a very, it's a very rational reaction. You're, I call them coping mechanisms. Yeah, it is exactly a coping mechanism. It's your body trying to protect you. Your body just experienced this thing and it's going, holy cow, I didn't know that was coming and now I'm just always going to be prepared for it from here on out. So when we work with our with we, with our clients, when we work with survivors, we really try and honor that. And we've assisted clients who have been having trouble at work, you know, we've been assist- we've advocated on their behalf saying, you know, it's just it's a thing. Here's how we can help this client. But you know, thank you for sharing that that piece of information because a lot of people do go through that. They have these coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I can say from my own experience that I I actually started to feel like I would turn around a lot and see if I was a white car cop following me. And every time I saw a white car, I, like my hands would go, would yeah. get all sweaty. Yeah. And the only reason why I say a white car is because the person who chose to enter my apartment drove a white car. Yeah. And I knew that, you know, and I was afraid that they were stalking me for a really long time. It was very hard for me to just pay attention to my surroundings because I was afraid that if I saw a white car, I would see him and then I wouldn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. But just like you said, Susan, I mean, they are coping mechanisms and we have to honor them. Mm-hmm. You know, they're very important to just say, okay, I acknowledge that this is happening to me and it is a normal reaction for mm-hmm. someone who's experienced this kind of event. Yeah. And it's not that I'm crazy. It's not that I'm delusional. Mm-hmm. It's not that I'm insane. Mm-hmm. It's just that that's what's happening at this very moment because that's what I need to go through yeah. in order to get better. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. I didn't mean to say irrational oh, in a negative sure, sure. way. Because we all have to figure out how to cope, and it's mm-hmm. a complex world, and we all develop ways to cope. And sometimes Absolutely. the coping mechanisms aren't really doing us, helping us mm-hmm. the best yes. way they can. Mm-hmm. And so that's yes. where a therapist comes along and mm-hmm. helps us kind of exchange those coping mechanisms for a more successful one that would yeah. benefit us. But Absolutely. still, for a long time, we're just trying to get by. Yeah, yeah. So let's, let's talk about what actually is assault and let's talk about that. What do we mean by assault? And let's talk about what we mean by consent. Mm-hmm. Because there's the old saying, no means no, and yes mm-hmm. means yes. But mm-hmm. what does those actually mean? Well, I guess I can elaborate on that one since I've been taking my training. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I'm being tested here. So sexual assault is any unwanted sexual contact. Mm-hmm. Like Catherine said, if you're you know, in a restaurant or at a bar or something and someone you know, comes up and puts their hand down the back of your pants or even, you know, rubbing your shoulders, you know, anything Mm -hmm. that is just, it's not consented to. Mm -hmm. Um, As far as the consent part, we go over this all the time and it's something that just plays over in my head. Consent is something that is voluntary. Mm -hmm. Um, It should be enthusiastically given. Yeah. It should be mutual. Mm -hmm. Where am I? What am I missing? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, it can be revoked at any time, yes. right? So you can change your mind. It needs to be given while sober. Yes, it and cannot we, be given when drunk. Yeah, we could definitely discuss what that means in like rape culture. Uh, so we have enthusiastic, mutual. You can take it back at any time. Voluntary. Sober, voluntary. Oh, a verbal, the most important yeah, one, verbal. particularly in new relationships, it really does need to be verbal. So, you know, when you're saying no means no and only yes means yes, it really does need to be spoken. Um, obviously, with time, right, so sexual assault is not about sex. It's about power and dominance and control that just happens to use sex as a tool. So if you're in an, a partnership, Right, and a partnership that is communicative, it's open, you two have trust, there is no power discrepancy, there's not one partner who's more dominant in the partnership than the other. You could begin to have conversations about having consent without words. I think, mm. you know, I think I, I know several individuals who've been married for many years and they're like, We don't need this. That's because you have that element of trust. Well, you've established it. So mm-hmm. here let me go back to assault. Uh, is is a wolf whistle an assault, like you're walking down uh-huh. the street, and sure. there's times when you don't want to walk by a construction site. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, oh, well, you cross the street and you go around mm-hmm. because you're going to be walking a gauntlet, mm-hmm. and is that isn't that a form of assault? It is, mm-hmm. absolutely. Catcalling is definitely a form of, form of assault, especially when it's unwanted attention, and that is something that plays a part of what we're calling systemic rape culture. Yeah. And I, I wanted to, to add into the consent conversation because I recently heard this amazing explanation for consent by explaining me through offering a cup of tea. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a really, really good explanation. So if you're with someone and they say, hey, would you like a cup of tea? And you say, oh, my God, yes, I would love a cup of tea. Then you know that they want a cup of tea, right? <laughs> if they're unconscious, you can't make them a cup of tea. So you don't make him a cup of tea, period. <laughs> you know? If, and if even if you answer, you ask them, hey, do you want tea? You know they're not going to respond. So then that means that they cannot mm-hmm. accept your cup of tea. Mm-hmm. 
Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. But if you have someone that says, hey, would you like a cup of tea? And they're like, mm, um, I'm not really sure. Then you can make a cup of tea if you want. But that doesn't mean that they're going to drink the cup of tea or yeah. accept your cup of tea. Yeah. Right? So it's very important to understand those parameters. And speaking mm-hmm. of accepting things, right? So we, we work with the philosophy. It's never the survivor's fault. So if you're out at a bar mm-hmm. and you're drinking with someone, like if I'm out drinking with somebody, I, I still don't have to have sex with him, right? I never owe somebody sex, even if you buy me all of the best beer in the world, even if you buy me a nice dinner. Or give me a promotion. Or if you give me a promotion. <laughs> or if I'm guaranteed an A, right? Like, yeah. you can't be coerced, you know? So it's never a survivor's fault, even if they were drinking, right? Even if they felt they had to. It's never their fault, so. And, I mean, we've been talking about drinking, but let's, let's talk about other drugs. Even if you're yeah. in the influence yeah. of any drug, mm-hmm. if you do not say, yes, I would like to have sex, or yes, then... That is not consent. Right. And you, you can't consent under the influence of any substance because you're not really in the right set of mind mm-hmm. to make that decision. Well, that's the, what they call the, uh, do they call it the rape pill? Uh, what do they call that pill? Date that rape. Date, date rape date drugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah so that would be like rohypnol, um, GHB, ketamine. You could even, you know, I, I don't want to get in too much into it just, you know, because it makes me nervous. There, there are over-the-counter drugs that people can use for terrible, nefarious purposes. But, you know, if we're going to talk about date rape, we really have to admit the number one tool for date rapist is alcohol. Mm -hmm. It is easy. It is accessible. It is pliable. um, It is often frequently sweet. So you drink a lot. You don't realize how drunk you're getting until you're very drunk. And at that point, you know, you you do become easy targets. So if you wanted to discuss rape culture, you know, there is a systematic approach to intoxicating Mm -hmm. women. And actually in this movie, The Hunting Ground, there's a case of a gentleman who offers to help a woman who's being harassed by another man at the bar. Mm -hmm. And then the man goes away and says, oh, she's my girlfriend. But then this man offers her a drink. Mm-hmm. And that's how she he is able to drug her, I guess, into having sex with him. The other thing, and this is something that I recently was reading because I'm teaching a class on introduction to women and gender studies next semester, so I was preparing for this. <laughs> and I was reading this article about um, the use of indica marijuana strains specifically mm-hmm. to annihilate, in a sense, women. And have sex with them because it's so strong and so powerful that they lose awareness and inhibition of what is going on. Mm -hmm. And there have been several cases, specifically in New York, Colorado, um, Oregon, and Washington, where the women report that they smoked indigo-strained marijuana and they were just smoking with a friend and they don't remember anything. And then the next morning, they wake up to feeling sore mm-hmm. or not knowing what happened. And so it's very important. Um, that seems to be also on the radar. Yeah. yeah. I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, no, I think that's what, no, 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 I love it. I love it. Okay. Uh, we're going to stop now for a, uh, a break and we'll be right back. Okay. Okay, we're back with Gender Trouble, and we're here talking with Luce and Catherine of the uh, Silver Regional Sexual Assault Support Services, 
and we've been having been learning a lot of information <laughs> and uh, and a lot of what what is assault and what is consent and basically we learned that consent means that you verbally with enthusiasm say yes mm-hmm. otherwise it's not consent it, it's coercion and so we need to be aware of that uh, Lydia had a meeting to go to, so she's not here with us, but we're going to continue on. And one of the things I want to bring up is let's talk a little bit about what happens to a uh, person. And, and most, obviously, most sexual assaults, though not all, but I would say it's like 92% or 93% or something, sexual assaults are, perform- are done by men. Mm-hmm. And the predators are men. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, uh, so let's talk about what happens when men get caught or they get accused or they go to court. Isn't there a horrendous amount of them just get off? I mean, isn't that one of the problems that nothing happens to them? Excellent, excellent question, Susan. And I think we should start by saying, yes, most of these crimes happen because a man offended against a woman or another man. But I think we should also say that the population of men who does this harm is very, very small, right? We are definitely by no means saying all men, you know. We are saying that men do most of the harm, though. And that's a really important distinction, um, because in a little bit we could maybe discuss how men can be allies against assault. It's true. A lot of times those individuals who cause harm are not prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law for multiple reasons. Many, many, many clients just don't feel comfortable reporting to the police. They're not ready, right? We know this is an intimate relationship, a boyfriend, a therapist, a best friend. It, w- it might be very hard to report that, you know, yeah. if, if it were the person who you cared about. We also know that while the adversarial justice system is really great if you're being accused of, for example, murdering someone, we want to make sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that this person was the one who did it. And to do that, there's typically a great body of evidence starting with a, with a physical uh, body. And there is evidence. There is a murder weapon, right? We come up with habeas corpus, the idea of why, did, you know, produce the body. We come yeah. up with mens rea. Why did somebody do it, right? With sexual assault, the evidence is biological. Um, it's often incredibly temporary, and it really boils down to, unfortunately, this is what she's saying, and this is what he's saying. And in this great justice system that we have, that just doesn't often lead to prosecution. Now, having said that, the 6th Judicial District uh, Attorney's Office here, they are great allies of ours, and they work very hard to make sure that clients do get justice to the best of their ability. Um, But you're right, on on national average, this is a huge epidemic that it's, it's very difficult to get that kind of justice. Yeah. So if, if something like this happened to a woman, what would be the first step in, if she is looking for justice? Well, if this happened recently, right, if this happened very immediately and you have the option of getting a sexual assault nurse examiner's exam, which collects forensic evidence, that would be an excellent place to start. Although, again, we have to acknowledge that, for example, if somebody's using something like a bottle, there might not be DNA, there might not be much physical evidence. 
Um, but the first place to start if it's an immediate assault would be, I think, a sane nurse. You can also see them for medication, right? They prescribe medicine. It is for free. So there's no fear of STIs, sexually transmitted infections. And you can talk to them about health concerns. After that, I would suggest maybe reaching out to your local victim advocate, either at a rape crisis center like ours, or there are victim advocates at the district attorney's office. If you're a survivor of a historical crime, there might still be ways that the statutes could cover your assault, and you could go reach out to them. And I think also making, you know, making a, a good time to sit down and tell yourself, define with yourself what justice is, right? So is justice prosecution? Is justice being able to wake up without being nervous or concerned, you know? So it, it, it really is, it's all about what the survivor wants. And of course, as advocates, Luz and I are both social work students and Kelly is a licensed social worker. So we believe all about in empowering our, our clients and it's always their decision. Social workers don't offer their personal opinions. They don't even come into play. It's what the client wants. So, so it, it supports services. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Another thing we were talking about well, in schools, but let's talk about it nationally. And another area that it happens a lot, I think it just statistics are horrendous again, is in the military. Yeah. And uh, we don't have a lot of military in Silver City area, but down in El Paso, mm-hmm. it's, it's, uh, it's a real issue. And in any of the towns that have mm-hmm. uh, military presence, and, and I don't know the statistic right off, but... Uh, one in three. One in three. One in three. Yeah. Women. So specifically. One in three women have uh, can be or has been sexually mm-hmm. abused in the military. So that's systemic. Mm-hmm. That's a systemic issue. And is the military doing anything about it? Yes. You know, we're super excited to say, I, I'm super excited to say, I had the privilege of meeting David Lisak, who works specifically, uh, he's worked with the Air Force, although a few other branches of the military as well, in solving this systemic issue. But I think this would be a great time to define what systemic rape culture is. And that's anywhere that there's a normalized preference towards men and masculinity particularly if there's a hierarchical structure. So the military is a great example. There are people who are, you know, grunts just coming in all the way up to full bars. So you have hierarchy, you have power disparities. And when there's a preference for hyper-masculine, when there's a preference for achievement, when there's a preference for falling into line, and this is not just true of the military, you could look Perhaps at some of the fraternities who have sexual hazing rituals, you see the same thing. You've got the fraternity president, you've got the juniors, the sophomores, the freshmen, and then you've got the pledges who get rushed, right? So in in some social hierarchies, it's individuals offending against someone who has less power to either get something or reinforce that power. Or unfortunately, we see in fraternities a lot of times the hazing rituals are brother on brother, right? So fraternity brother on fraternity brother uh, as humiliation and as a rite of passage. Um, so it's a really interesting phenomena, this idea that ma- male is is better, aggressive is better, I have power over you. And again, this is not all men, not all military, not all fraternities. It really comes down to power and, exactly. and the perception of not having power, so exactly. trying to seek power or prove you have power. Exactly. And uh, kind of an issue that uh, 
Yeah, I, I grew up gay, and mm-hmm. I grew up uh, on the uh, femme side, mm-hmm. and uh, I know that a lot of feminine young men, or even geeky young men, mm-hmm. are, are targets. And one of the big targets of sexual assault has been young transgender women. Yes. Uh, yeah. This year alone, 24 women have been killed. Uh, Mm -hmm. for being transgender. And uh, sometimes they could get off, but they have what's called a panic defense. Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't know she was transgender, and I went berserk. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes that's good enough. So uh, this is part of the systemic rape culture where the laws or the society will say, well, you can't blame men for doing something that seems natural to them. Well, and so of the of the twenty four, twenty one of the the women were also of color, yes, right? Which right. adds another another layer of being removed from power, right? And so it's it's perhaps not that. I'm trying to think of the best way to say this, we know that these crimes happen because somebody feels they don't have power, and really the thing always to take away from it is that. That's what it is. It's not that the survivor, it's not that she was female, of color, trans. It's that someone else felt powerless in that person's space. And maybe we as a society need to address why did that person feel powerless and why do they then get the power to exert themselves on someone? Yeah, that's always been my feeling that we deal with victims a lot, like in school, victims of bullying. Yeah. But the people that really need the therapy and the support and everything are the ones that feel the need to do the bullying. With right. the inadequacy they feel, the need to prove themselves. Why Why are they so, you know, mm-hmm. afraid in a sense and, and feel such inadequacy that they mm-hmm. have to pick on what is different from them? Yeah, why, why as a culture do we value those traits? Exactly right. That's just it. That's just it. Yeah. You mentioned that next week we have the uh, WNMU's uh, <laughs> Center for Gender Equity, and they're going to be talking about AIDS week coming up. Oh, great. So, and I wanted to ask you, what are the chances of, and how is that dealt with if a person has been... Uh, you know, assaulted and penetrated, and what's the, is there a danger for STD or HIV? Well, there, there is always that concern whenever there is that kind of penetration. Um, but immediately, if you get to a SANE exam, sexual, not, sexual assault nurse examiners, they provide antibiotics, which um, will cover most STIs. Um, and if you'd like, I don't know the statistic off the top of my head, I'd be more than happy to let Lydia know for next week what HIV occurrence rates in survivors is. And I do know that there, you know, some survivors choose not to get the morning after pill, plan B. Some survivors feel that it aligns with them to care for this life, which is also understandable. So it comes down to what you're comfortable with. When you're talking to the nurse, you can say, you know what, I'm not comfortable with this, but I do want that. I want the antibiotics, but I also want to get tested afterwards anyways, right? So as a field, it's so client-centered you know, yeah. it's just all about what the client wants. Well, I'm really grateful for you guys coming in. And uh, do you have some numbers and uh, uh, how to get a hold of you and, and, and things like that? So we're talking again with the Silver Regional Sexual Assault Support Services. Okay, so our phone number is 313-6203 is our office. Our crisis hotline, should you need it, is one. 
1-866-750-6474. That's 1-866-750-6474. And we're located at 310 East College. 301 West 301. College <laughs> Avenue. It's we're been in a long day. Six. I'm starving. I'm so sorry. We are right between La Cocina and Grinder Mill in the giant pink building in suite number six. Okay, and you had a phone number if somebody's interested in being an advocate? You can call us at 313-6203 and please ask for Catherine. Okay, I'll see you next week uh, with Gender Trouble and we'll be uh, having uh, the Center for Gender Equity here. Excellent. Uh, thank you. you for tuning in.